This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Don't you wish life were like the game Candyland? Candy being handed out at every corner. But we all know that life gives you lemons, not candy. We have a choice in every moment, though, of what we're going to do with those lemons. One of those options is the cliche we hear all the time, to make lemonade. A few years back, a colleague was introducing me to some global leaders at the Milken Institute Global Conference, and before I could even open my mouth to answer the question of what I do, she said, Kaylee is the queen of making lemonade out of lemons. I had the chills. In one breath, she nailed my essence. Being queen lemonade doesn't just mean that I make lemonade out of lemons, but one of my life's missions has been to help others see the lemonade in their lives. So I wanted to create Lemonade Land as a place where we make lemonade together, where we come together to witness each other's challenges and share our triumphs. In Lemonade Land, we'll celebrate the lemonade that everyday people are creating out of life's toughest moments. As Queen Lemonade, I'm merely here to inspire. Each one of us can make lemonade, and in doing so, we become co-creators of our experience and ourselves. It's what makes life beautiful. I'm Kaylee Zaytuni. Welcome to Lemonade Land. And now, a quick word about our sponsor. I am thrilled to thank today's sponsor because he's a dear friend and has been a huge part of making this podcast possible. David Kopp is an incredible brand strategist and graphic designer, amongst many other things. You know that phrase, jack of all trades, master of none? Well, <laughs> he masters them all. He's been a dear friend for so many years. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. It's been well over a decade. And I'm so, so blessed to have him in my life. But I want to share with you today what makes him so unique and why I highly recommend reaching out to him for any branding or design needs. When it comes to brand and design, you know, I've worked with so many designers and I used to work in the nonprofit world and in the corporate world. And for whatever reason, it didn't matter what my title was. I was somehow always involved with a lot of branding and design and sometimes overseeing an entire rebrand. And David is always my first stop when that task is at hand. And what I find so incredible is that especially when I'm working in a corporation, you know, of course, we have to get three pitches and compare. I'm always so amazed by how well David captures the essence of your brand and of you. I've certainly experienced that with myself when he created my logo. I just remember this like feeling of breathing into it. Like, yes, that's so like, that's me. Like, you know, he just he really, really nails that. You know, he's just so good at nailing your essence essence and really getting in there and helping you choose a brand that does actually reflect everything that you want it to and what your ultimate vision is. So he is, oh my goodness, such a unique designer and comes at it also with a really unique understanding of psychology. He's also really good at understanding how something is going to land for your audience. So I highly recommend him. I also want to say he's very reasonably priced and he works for both large corporations, but definitely prefers to be working with startups and and he offers payment plans, which is really important these days. And if you mention my name, he will give you 10% off, which is awesome. That's me just giving you a little sweet lemonade for the day. He's super easy to find. All you got to do is Google him. Type in DK Benjamin. Again, that's the letter D for David, the letter K, and then the name Benjamin. And he'll pop right up at the top. So DK Benjamin, go ahead and search for him. And don't forget to mention my name for that sweet 10% off. That's my little lemonade gift to you today. And thanking David so much for making this podcast possible. And now, 
back to the show. Wow, I am so excited for today's episode. I am honored to have my dear friend J.R. Martinez with us today. J.R. is an actor, motivational speaker, and best-selling author. And as a dancer myself, I have to include, he also has epic dance moves that you probably saw in season 13 of Dancing with the Stars, which of course, he won. And while all of that is so amazing, as we near Memorial Day, I want to share what we're actually going to focus on in today's interview with JR. And it's part of what makes him a personal hero to me. JR is an Army veteran. And as you're going to hear in this episode, JR sacrificed so much for the United States of America. JR has been handed some serious lemons in his life. We'd been friends for a few years, actually, before I read his book, which is when I discovered that he had been through so much more than I had ever realized. He is so humble, he's authentic, and he's just real. And I know you will get so much out of what he's going to share today. On a final note, I want you to know, it's important to me that as a listener, you know that JR and I did not have a list of questions before this interview. We discussed, of course, and had a general sense of the direction it would go, but we decided that we wanted to just allow and trust what comes. So that means that you're going to be hearing a very organic discussion. And despite our years of friendship, there are many questions I never directly asked him. You know, he's on so often and sharing his story, and I didn't need him to be on in our friendship. And so I didn't ask a lot of these questions. So in this episode, you are going to hear me hearing him share these things for the first time directly with me. I've always found him to be an inspiration. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, but this is the first time I'm asking some of these questions directly. And he gave me the green light to ask whatever I wanted. So that's what you're going to hear today. JR. Wow, it is so wonderful to have you here with us today. And I know you and I get to talk often. It is such an honor that you're coming on my podcast today. This feels so exciting. So thank you so much for being here, especially because it's Memorial Day. Of course, that makes it so meaningful. And, you know, I'm just also thinking about it in the context of Memorial Day during this time of a global pandemic. So let's start there. How do you contextualize that? This is all of our opportunities, and I'm referring to citizens, residents of the United States of America. I believe that this is our opportunity, uh, whether we have served in some sort of organization or not, this is our opportunity to serve. This is our opportunity to do our part. And if our part requires us to remain home, or, or if we do go out to take certain precautions, that is our part. And I yes. have no issue with that because I have been in the military. And, you know, this can be a conversation for another day. But, you know, I was injured in Iraq, as you are well aware. And that is a controversial, debatable conflict. A lot of people believe we didn't need to go there. We didn't need to be there. Yeah. And I remember being so there at the age of 19 years old and not and trying to make sense of where I was and what was actually happening. But for me, and some people can, you know, interpret this differently, but for me, it was like, well, I signed that dotted line because 9-11 happened just a few months before. I understood that I was needed for this particular, you know, purpose. I'm just going to go where my commander tells me to go and do what they tell me to do, believing and trusting that it's the right thing to do. And so for me, I'm used to following orders. I'm used to doing something that in some ways I don't fully understand, but I, but I trust and believe that 
this is the right thing to do. And the, I think the problem is, is that one, people don't have that same discipline or structure or have not been exposed to that. But then two, I believe there's an element of where trust in our country is, is split. And, and, and we turn this into, well, I trust this and you trust that. So therefore, well, I trust this because I trust that I'm going to do what I want because that, that element said that I can do that. And the other side is like, well, I trust this source right. and this source is telling us to do this. And so that's the problem. And when you don't have unity from a leadership standpoint, from the top all the way funneling down, you're going to create a divide. What, what made you join? What made you serve? Because you just talked about, you know, leadership and our society and our communities being very divided. Um, and, you know, you grew, up, you grew up in a minority community. I mean, what, what made you serve? What made you want to sign up to, to potentially sacrifice your life for this country? Well, there were, uh, I think of, um, um, for me, as I like to refer to it, it was a one-stop shop that made all the sense in the world for me. It wasn't, I didn't grow up with this influence of somebody had served in the military, you know, mm -hmm. and so it was a tradition that I was carrying on, but I, I, it was instilled in me to have a love of country. It was instilled in me to be grateful for what this country has allotted to me and my family. And that gratefulness honestly comes from another country, oddly enough. That gratefulness comes from my mother being from Central America, El Salvador. You know, I wasn't born there. I was born here. My mother, you know, immigrated to this country, seeking a better opportunity in the future for herself, ends up meeting my father, has me. All of my family, meanwhile, is in El Salvador, all of them. Wow. Right. So, so it's just my mother and I, cause my father then leaves when I'm nine months old. So he's not even in the picture. So my mother has to do this by herself. And here I go, you know, my mom takes me to El Salvador first time when I was six years old and the second time when I was nine. And I got to tell you, Kaylee, that when I went at the age of nine, it was, I was older. So I was a little bit more aware. Six years old. It was like, Oh, this is fun because where my family lives yeah. is not the, the city. It's not the, it's not downtown. It's not, it's, it's rural. It's you from the main city, the capital, it's a five hour drive. Then you get to this small town. Then you, there's no paved roads back then. So then you either by horseback or you rock or you walk, walk up this road. That's really rocky. And then eventually you get to the little, there's fences alongside this big pasture and then you realize okay that's that's our gate and then you walk through that gate and you're walking through the mountains and you're eventually like walking over creeks and through creeks and then i mean nothing like like rivers i mean small little creeks and then all of a sudden you turn the corner and there's the little house and that's where they lived and they had you know chickens and they had you know, uh, cows and they didn't have any electricity and they didn't have, you yeah. know, from a sanitary standpoint, there's no restrooms. The restrooms are the land, is the land. And, you know, and for me at the age of six, it was like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. It's almost like going <laughs> camping, right? Like, this is great. And, you know, I remember as a kid, my fondest memories of that is with my cousins. 
finding mango trees and literally taking rocks and just sitting there all day, just throwing rocks at the mangoes, trying to get the mangoes to drop. And when you dropped and you finally collected all the mangoes, then you would go sit on, 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 on a rock somewhere. And there was one particular area that has a rock and it's, there's an incredible view. And you would just go out, you would sit there and you just eat your mangoes and it was the best thing ever. It was so simple. And so when I went at nine years old, I was introduced to this element of selflessness by my mother when I remember one day being in, in town with my sister and my cousins and my, my, there, it was a hot day and my mother said, I'm going to buy a Coke. Somebody was selling like in the old glass bottles and, you know, and she bought me one and I, she handed it to me and I, I was being raised as if I was the only child. So I literally took that thing. I turned it upside down and I just started chugging. And my mom said, wait, 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 share. And I said, share, what do you mean share? And she said, share. And I said, why don't you buy them their own? Like, it's like a quarter, like we have a quarter. And she's like, no, 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 you share. And so she had me take this little small bottle of Coke and, and pass it around to like my sister and my cousins. Right. And I know a lot of people are going to listen to this like that's not sanitary. And it's like, <laughs> that's not what we're thinking of. Yeah. There's a reason my mother, my grandmother is currently right now 91 years old and still kicking and, you know, right. Like, I mean, there is oh, yeah. something to pay attention to. There's right? something to that. <laughs> that's and so for sure. what it did and the reason why I even start there, and this is a very long answer to your question, but the reason I start there is because it what that did is it allowed me to appreciate what I had in this country. Even though statistically, my mother and I, we were what Americans would consider poor. My mother made under $30,000 a year where she worked. And we had, you know, we didn't have a lot. And for my mother to give me something, you know, I, I recently on my Instagram did a post on Mother's Day and, and talked about, you know, thanking her and, you know, and I said, you know, I, you always found a way to give me that, give me that thing that I wanted, not that I needed, because you gave me everything I needed, but the thing that I wanted, even if it meant that it had to be on layaway for six months, kids today are like, what's layaway, right? And I was just going to say, I was like, <laughs> for our listeners, I don't know that they know what layaway is. <laughs> layaway is this essentially a loan, it's a credit, but it's where like, okay, you can make payments every single week for X amount of time until you pay it off. And then you can actually get the product. And, right. and, and so needless to say, I had this deep appreciation that this country, the United States, was giving my mother an opportunity, even though she was only making $30,000. But it was $30,000 that she wouldn't have made anywhere else. And because of that, she was able to give me an incredible life and she was able to help my family, our family in El Salvador, have a great life. And so when 9-11 took place, yeah. I was in this place of, well, I'm not really quite sure what I'm doing with my life because the plans that I originally ha had are starting to sort of fall through. Well, and you, I were, you were in high school at the time. I was right? in high school. I was a senior in high school. And... Um, just so we so after, after I graduate from high school, suddenly I start thinking to myself, well, maybe, maybe the military is a great opportunity for me. Maybe that's, mm -hmm. maybe that's the answer. And so I joined 
with this intent of I wanted to give, I wanted to contribute, I wanted to serve because I was this, I felt like a lot of people did at that time. My country was attacked, right? And I, and I'm needed and I don't understand it, but I'm needed. I'm a body and I'm, I'm needed. And so I want to give back to this country because this country has given so much to us. Plus it was a great opportunity for me to go to college, to get money for college, for me to travel, for me to learn a lot about life and see life in a very different way. Oh, yeah. But I also will tell you, Kaylee, that now at the age of 36 years old, I look back at that period in my life and I think there was a component of where it was an opportunity for me to escape. Interesting. It was an opportunity for me to leave this small town, this bubble uh, that I had grown up in where I felt there weren't a lot of opportunities. And I wanted to just go into the world because I knew that I always believed as a young boy, I was like, there's a whole big world out there. And I want to go live in it. I want to go experience it. I want to see it. And yeah. so I believe that the military also was this opportunity to escape and go actually experience it. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. And so much of what you've said, I'm like, I just, I get the chills the way you talk about your gratitude and appreciation for this country and for the life that you've been given, the way you express your gratitude towards your mom. I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful. And I think it is such an important message right now. And I want to go more into your military service and your experience in the army. Um, but I just want to just for a moment reflect on what you shared about going to visit El Salvador, because I think so many people are viewing life right now with a new lens. Mm -hmm. And Many of us in America are feeling limited, are feeling lack, are feeling scared. And you're describe the way you describe this like no no bathroom experience, it it almost sounded um like it would, you know, you describe it, it's nostalgic. It sounds almost like a paradise. And yet we think that like if we could get into our cars, everything would be better. If I could show up at the office, everything would be better. But the truth is that as you describe that simplicity, there's a sweetness to it. There's an ease to it. There's a joy and almost a sense of abundance. It's like, of course we can have the extra Coke, but we share. And, and that wasn't about limitation. That was just about virtue. Right. So I think that's so, I mean, I think I'm just thinking about how Americans are processing what you just described. Yeah. So I think it's, I have that, that blessing that I had that opportunity to witness that. And trust me, I went to El Salvador for five, six times, by the, you know, from six years old up until I graduated from high school. And mm -hmm. since then, um, and I would go and I would stay for at least two weeks because my mother saved as much money as she could. And when we went, we were like, well, we're gonna go for a while. And so a lot of the times we went during the Christmas break when Obviously, I was out of school and things had shut down. Uh, and we'd be there for at least two weeks. And I think there was one occasion where we went for a month. So when I went, I went. I was there for a while. Wow. And I've gone, I don't know, probably the same amount of times since I've, you know, since my injury. You know, I, I've gone, I've taken my wife, I've taken my daughter. 
Our daughter was uh, three years old when I took her to visit. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember, you know, and, 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 this is, and this is what you're talking about. So my wife had her parents, my in-laws gave her an incredible life. Born and raised, you know, in New York and just had an incredible life. And in comparison to a lot of her friends, incredible life. So I take her to El Salvador, right, to experience what I experienced. And my wife is like, holy shit, like, where are we? Like, like what, right. what is this? And our daughter at three years old is, has the same mentality that I had when I was six, where it's like, this is fun. And, she, and now there's a paved road, a little bit of a paved road going up to, you know, the house and you know, our, I, I have a picture of our daughter in the car looking out and, mm. and, and staring out at everything. And my wife, Diana, is like, her anxiety and her panic is kicking in because she is looking at it. If you look at where we are on a map, we are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> if something happens to us, Ooh. how do we get care? Right? That's what she's thinking. I'm not thinking of any of that. Which is normal. Not, I mean, she's a mom. Like that's right. she, She's a mom, but she's also somebody that hasn't experienced that. Mm-hmm. She, she's also had the luxury of being born and raised in an incredible, you know, home and an environment and an area where there, this was foreign to her. And, right. but to me, this was, this was almost like home to me. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think that that speaks volumes to where we are today. When you're yeah. saying that people are trying to process this element of where things are out of our control to where we're having now to sacrifice, which, you know, I heard this comedian one time say, or maybe it wasn't a comedian. I think it was, I think it was maybe Tony Robbins or somebody said something. I think it was Tony Robbins. He said, that he boarded a flight one time, it was an international flight, and when he boarded the flight, the captain made the announcement, today on this flight, we are gonna have Wi-Fi for the very first time. And the whole plane, just like, yeah, whoa, that's incredible. So we take off, they take off, and they get up in the air, and once you're allowed to, to log in, everyone logs in, and probably half an hour in, of course, there's glitches, and yeah. it's not working, and it's there's no, internet wi-fi for the remaining flight or remaining of the flight and tony talks about how everyone then suddenly started complaining and like oh, yeah because it suddenly went from this this luxury to now yeah. an expectation yep and we have taken a lot of our luxuries that we have in this country and it's become an expectation yeah. versus the expectation in for where I, for example what i was exposed to el salvador it's just to wake up in the morning, it's to sit down and have a cup of coffee with those that are in your house, and it's to then to go work in the field, or it's to go to the town and, and do a little you know, work, and it's to be there, yeah. right? Like, and, and to be yeah. present. And, and anything extra is just like a bonus. It's a bonus. Right? Like, like I electricity remember, will be a bonus. It's not I, a luxury. I, I remember my mom would, when we went, I mean, you know, we came with like money and it was like, wow, like sure. we're going to go to the town and we're going to buy food. We're n- My family is not just going to eat tortillas y frijoles, rice and rice. I mean, uh, yeah. beans and tortillas. That was all. That's what they survived on. That was almost every single day. We were now coming and we said, okay, you know what? We're going to buy an avocado to put with that. 
Mm. And it was such a delicacy, right? Oh, you just said avocado. You just said right. the words. I can live yeah. on avocado. And we're like, man, I, I've just been appreciating a, a tortilla with some black beans that they mm. got, that they made, that they raised, and then they grew in the field. And now you're going to throw some avocado on it? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a luxury, not an expectation, right? Not a given. Yeah. And it's so, I love, I love that you brought up such a sweet example. It's such a basic example because I look at our society today and I'm, I keep asking myself, you know, but, but this whole self-help world has been so at the forefront and, you know, people are reading these books and they're in yoga and meditation. I'm like, why are people having such a hard time right now? Not that it's, not that it's supposed to be easy, but the, from what it looks like in the media, right? And even on social media, everybody's sharing these inspirational videos. So for the last decade, you've been expanding your, your perspective. You should have tools right now to manage this. But then you just gave this avocado example. And I think it's so important for, for us to kind of talk about because if you look at, you know, I've, I'm not a parent. So I want to first just say that, that like, I cannot speak from a place of being a parent. This is not a judgment. There would be some blogs out there attacking you. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just, just an observation, but I have, you know, a lot of, a lot of my clients or friends will say things to me like, well, my kids won't eat what I put on the table or this one wants this or that, or like that they're being so difficult. And I'm just like, you know, there are places in the world where kids don't argue with what you put in front of them. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's a lot of our mentality around, around just what you said around expectation and that as opposed to we're just so grateful to have food on the table right. not you know well i don't want this kind of food like right. what like wh- and but those are the kids that are going to really struggle to be resilient in life and Absolutely. to be able to to soar in life so well, and, I- yeah, I, I believe a lot of what you're, you know, you're, you're talking about these people that have all of these tools and have put out all this information through whatever platform, mm-hmm. not all of them, but I believe some of them have not necessarily, like they, it feels good to be positive. It feels good to be that beacon. Sure. Yeah. But many of them have not had to apply it in a situation where all of the odds are against them, right? In some sense or, you know, like where they have no other alternative. And, 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 and that's, it's, it's similar. It's to, I posted recently and, and, and I talked about how people say that knowledge is power. And I disagree with that. I believe knowledge applied and shared is power. What good is it to you if you have all of this knowledge, but you're just keeping it to yourself and you're not actually applying it into your day-to-day life? So it's a matter of now that we're all being tested and tried. This is the moment where all of that knowledge should be dumped into this current situation and say, this is what we do. And from a parenting standpoint, I mean, you know, given our daughter that experience, I remember... I was out front of the house and my, my daughter doesn't speak Spanish. I, I, I do. My family in El Salvador doesn't speak English. And so my cousins ask me, well, my cousin's kids come to me and ask me if they can play with, our, with, with my daughter. 
And I said to my daughter, I was like, you know, do you, you know, we, we call her Belle, um, but her name is Lauren Annabelle. So, but we call her Belle. And I said, Belle, they want to play with you. You know, do you want to go play with them? And she said, yeah. So here they go. They run off. They don't speak the same language. And they're running around the house mm-hmm. and they're laughing. And my daughter's just following, you know, just following what's taking place there. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're so enamored with her that, like this is an American girl. Like this is this wow. is a girl that is born in the United States. Like they're yeah. looking at her almost from this element of envy of, you know, you have all of this. You like you have this opportunity. Like you don't have to dream of going to that place and looking for an opportunity to make thirty thousand dollars a year. You're already there. You're ahead of the game. And of course, they can't pick her brain because they can't speak to each other. But at a certain point, our, our daughter comes to, to us and she says, she asked us, Daddy, where, where's, the, where's, their, where's their bed? Like, where's their TV? Where's their toys? And that was such an incredible moment for me as a, as, as a young father to, to, to look at her in the eyes and say, well this is what their life is like. They don't have their own individual bed like you do. They don't have all of the toys. They don't have TVs around the house in different rooms. Mm. And I believe in many ways, she still remembers that experience. So I believe in many ways that that has in some ways humbled her and allowed her to be grateful. Like our daughter, she's the only kid right now. And I mean, we all know that, you know, usually, you know, only children grow up with an abundance of everything, you know, from all family members and friends. And, but I can tell you that I truly know that, and I don't say this just because she's my daughter. I know this and I believe this. And my wife and I talk about it all the time. She's not, she doesn't expect things. Mm. When she receives things, she is genuinely like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, because she (laughs) understands not only from that experience, but both because my wife and I have just drilled it in her head. When it comes to food, do you understand? Do you understand? You know, and it's not just El Salvador. Like I've had the, the, the incredible blessing to travel around the world. Like I remember going to South Africa and being mm-hmm. in Cape Town, right? And going to the township and going to their markets and seeing the food that they were preparing and selling to one another. And, you know, for example, when I was there, I went with a group of guys. And again, it was that element of enamored with here's Americans in the township. Right. And and that was what we wanted. We were like, okay, this is great. Cape town and the the tourist area where we're staying, but you know, because I was there for almost four months. I want to go to the township. I want to know yeah. what, what the locals are like. So I, I love traveling like that. That's the only yes, way. Yeah. It's the only way. And so we're there and they, are, you know, our, our, our guy that's, you know, our, our kind of our tour guide, he's, you know, communicating, you know, translating for us. And he says, you know, they, this individual wants to offer you, you know, just give you some of their food. And, uh, and I was like, okay. And I was like, well, what is it? And he said, well, I don't know what he's going to give you. So he, he, he gives it to us like on a little plate. And um, I look at it and, uh, and I was like, 
it, you know, it didn't have, you know, the smell that just, you know, it, it was a different smell and it just didn't, it wasn't appetizing. And, and uh, I asked the translator, I, I said, well, what is this? And he said, that's cow's tongue. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, this is not anything I've ever eaten. Uh, you know, this is not part of a value meal at a fast food restaurant that I grew up <laughs> on, right? This is not, but I, to them, this is such a rich part of the animal. Yeah, it and, is. And I ate it. And because I felt one, that would be disrespectful for me to just look. Now, mm -hmm. mind you, some of the people that were with me were like, no, 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 no. Right. And and that's that's totally fine. And it's you know, but yeah. for me, I didn't want to show that element that I didn't appreciate and that I almost looked down on. But if you look at it, they're the ones that are appreciating every component of that animal. They're not wasting yeah. any part of that animal. That's right. There's something beautiful about every part of that animal that gives them what they need mm -hmm. to live another day. And yeah. I, I'm always, I, I think, and I'm trying to find balance as a parent because there are situations where my daughter who still lives in this country, right? And has been born and raised and has had all these incredible opportunities has said, I don't want, I don't like this. I don't want this. And it's like, okay, like, but do you know there, you know, I give that spill. Do you know, kid, do you know, you know, and, and, and I have to find that balance of, okay, but that's not her reality. And I have to grant her the ability to say, you know, I'm not, I don't maybe like this so much and that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't have to be this or it doesn't have to be all that. It can be a little bit of that compromise of, of both. And I think that is the place of where my wife and I were constantly, you know, it's, it's more me. I'd say more me. My wife is more understanding and compassionate. Like I tend to be very much like life and drill sergeant. And like, you know, I, I can be firm. And, and, and I think I'm the one that really has to take a step back and say, okay, JR, this isn't, this doesn't have to be so serious. Scale back and mm. grant her the ability and the opportunity to be a child. Now, I do get the question from a lot of people. How do I, my child is, you know, has incredible opportunities and privilege, but how do I, how do I give that to my kid, right? What you have, JR, that you're incredibly grateful. How do I instill? And I say, well, oh, it's taking them it's taking them outside of their bubble. Like it doesn't mean you have to not give them their allowance. Like just right. make challenge them to do something with that allowance. That's going to help somebody else. Right. Right. Exposing <laughs> to different to experiences. Right. But, but JR, I'm so surprised that someone would even ask you that because she has you for a father. Like, <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think it's going to be really, hard for her to not have perspective i mean if there's anyone who's going to like we imprint on each other you know our right. and so she's learning more than anything not by what you say but by who you are and who you are in the world i mean we didn't even talk about this but um you know when you and i met um you know, I was running this event for a thousand people. And so I'm in like production mode. You were, you were such an amazing MC and it was so, it was 
you were so gracious to work with. Um, but, you know, I didn't have time to kind of sit and get to know you. I was like, here are your talking points. This is what I need you to right. do. <laughs> and, you know, and you were so easy about it. You were so, um, you just were like, you showed up. Now, here's the thing that I don't know if we've ever talked about. You know, I was so excited to work with you, um, especially leading up to the event. And um, I was, I, I grew up in Hollywood. I don't get starstruck, you know, like it's, right. this is an environment where like you're sitting at dinner and like the next table over is like Robin Williams. And that's just normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that could be at an in and out like that, yeah, <laughs> that's how casual it could be. Anywhere. be. Yeah, it's just it doesn't normal. even have to be like a five-star restaurant. <laughs> no, not at all. It's just normal, you know, but, but so for me, you know, I don't, I don't put, you know, celebrities or, or actors in that sense on a pedestal. I have a deep profound um, appreciation for our service men and women. And I had known your story. I'm also a dancer. So I watched you on Dancing with the Stars, you know, and it's so funny to be able to like say this to you now because we've never had this conversation. We we immediately bonded that night and had a great time. It was so much fun. And every time we've spent time afterwards, it's just been this like, you know, immediately deep conversation about life and Life. life and the lessons that life has taught us. And I've never had a chance to say that to you. So um, when you're talking about your daughter, it's like, it's so obvious and so clear that who you are is what's going to give her that sense of perspective. It's how you show up because that's, that's also the impression, right. That I have with you. Um, and, and yeah, you know, you're that person that like, I would say is a hero 100% and you're so humble about it, but she's going to know that, you know, what it means to appreciate life. She right. will, that will be instilled well, in her. And, 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 and the one thing is that we don't, you know, obviously she's eight years old and, and with respect to the fact that she is eight years old, I mean, she's a very mature, you know, eight-year-old, but she still is eight years old. And there are instances right. where we're reminded, like, why did you do that? Why did, why would you, why would you, why would you think that that's the right thing to do? And then we're like, oh, wait, you're still eight. Oh, sorry. <laughs> But this whole yeah. time, we thought you were like 15 or 16. I mean, we thought you were like a roommate for us, not like an actual <laughs> child that we have to take care of and you're still right. on us. Yeah. So we, with respect to her age, we don't really try to shelter her from the world. We try to expose her to the world, you know, within what's right, right? We don't, sure. we don't really share a lot of the you know, disasters and, and things that take place, the tragedies that happen in our country or in around the world. But there are some cases, for example, where we'll have a conversation with her and we'll tell her, hey, this is maybe what the world wants you to know about this, but this is what truly what it is. And this is what our history is related to that subject. And, Beautiful. you know, this, but, and, and, and you'll see her that when we're talking to her, she sits there and she's just processing, processing, processing. And I think that is the key is that that is one of the most beautiful gifts that my upbringing, my mother and my family gave me is I wasn't sheltered from the good and the bad. I wasn't sheltered from it. Now, luckily, I'm able to be in the position today where I've survived it. And I know there are a lot of children that don't survive their childhoods that were similar to mine. But I think by not being sheltered, you know, so it's like, it's like this component as parents, we try so hard because our job is to give them more than what we had. Yeah. So I think when in the sense of that, what we do is 
we're giving them so much more than what we had, but we're taking away the things that were given to us that got us to the position to give our children what they, what they exactly. are now having. And no, we're dumping, leaving all of that behind that is part of our makeup and DNA that have made us this successful people. When reality, you should bring components of that and then funnel that down to your child as well to instill that in them. So then they one day can continue to grow and propel into the next level. And right. so it's, it's almost equivalent to what I would say. I would say this a lot to you know kids that I have visited who and parents who, for example, have come to this country from, you know, have immigrated to this country, right? And I challenge the parents and I say, listen, I understand you're trying to give your kids more than what you had. And for you, that means giving them shelter. For you, that means giving them food every single day. For you, that means giving them clothes and potentially giving them a phone or an Xbox or PlayStation. I get that. That is more than what you had. But let's not sacrifice the lessons. Let's not yeah. lose the lessons. Let's not lose, lose this thing that has made you as the parent, this incredible, resilient, loving person. That needs to be shared with your children as well. And I think that that is what is going to help our daughter hopefully become this really grounded but well-informed adult because yeah. we haven't sheltered her. I, I want to talk about, you know, the lemons in your life. You've already touched on quite a few. Um, and, and I think you and I are going to have many opportunities. It's so rich. It's so deep. Um, and life has handed you many lemons, uh -huh. um, to say the least. But one of the things you're talking about in terms of your daughter is it's, it's our challenges that that make us resilient that make us who we are and many would say you know what i'm really hearing there is it's our scars mm -hmm. who make us who we are and you took that very literally mm -hmm. um so <laughs> why don't you can you take us back to uh april i believe it was 2003 um where you actually faced one of the biggest challenges anyone can face which is death yeah and tell us about that day what a blessing it was to experience that. And I can't believe you just opened with that sentence. What a blessing it was to experience that. Like and I mean that. And I mean that. I mean, I can say that now because I sat through all the storms. Oh. And what do they tell us to do when there is advisories that there is some storm that is coming through? Go in your house and hunker down and, and just ride it out. And let's just hope that when it passes we're still there, right? Yeah. And for me, I can say that it was a blessing now because I just, I hunkered down and I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was happening in the world, but I just had to find ways to be connected to myself and be intimate with myself. And when people think of intimacy, right? It's immediately you think of, oh, with somebody else. And no, I had to learn how to be intimate with myself, with my yeah. feelings, with my emotions, with my thoughts. I had to figure out how to have a relationship with that. Mm. But to the date that you're referring to, April 5th, 2003, I was 19 years old. I was in Iraq. I was at war. And this was six months after I joined the United States Army. 
And can I ask, when you joined, had you considered that you might be deployed? Like, what, what so, were your feelings about that? Yeah, so I knew that, you know, I knew that war, as I always like to say, I, I believe that war was a possibility. I just never thought it would be my reality because I was 19 years old, right? And I believe nothing's going to happen. I'm incredibly naive and no, that's going to happen to me. Right. And, you know, so I, I, I sort of had this, you know, and of course, in basic training, our drill sergeants would, you know, talk to us and say, hey, this is what war is, is like, and this is what you should be prepared for because you will be. And it's just like, okay, right? It's, it's almost equivalent to when you're a child and your parent is telling you, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Right. And then you still go and try it yourself. And then you're like, oh, damn, they were right. That did happen. So there was rumors around it. Um, and then, because we already had troops in Afghanistan when I joined in September of 2012. Right. I mean, 2002, sorry. Yeah, I was like, wait, how did we get 2012? Yeah. yeah. I just joined. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so 2002 is when I joined. So we're, we already had troops in Afghanistan. So there, I knew that there was a possibility I was going to, to war, whether it was going to be Iraq or Afghanistan. So six months after I joined, I'm now at war. Six months. And uh, less than a month into my deployment, into being in Iraq, the Humvee that I was driving ran over a roadside bomb. And the front left tire ran over this this landmine it exploded there were three other guys in the truck with me they were thrown out of the vehicle but they all walked away with minor physical injuries and i say that you know because it's important to to highlight that they physically didn't have scars but they emotionally and mentally did that surrounded that day but I was trapped inside wow. and for five minutes, this Humvee was engulfed in flames. And finally, after five minutes, I was pulled out and it started the medevac process. They put me into a medical induced coma because they, there were, there were a couple of reasons related to that. One, I had, my body was going through a level of shock, so I didn't feel any pain. I was numb, but I was still, apparently I was still very much alert. And I would fight off everybody and tell mm. everybody, I'm fine, I'm fine, let me go back, I'm fine. Clearly, I was not. Wow. But what they did is like, one, let's sedate him to preserve this energy because he'll need it if he survives because they weren't sure if I was going to survive. Mm -hmm. And then two, he, by putting him in a coma, it's going to grant us the ability to do what we need to do to give him a chance because him fighting us is getting in the way of, of us doing what we need to do. Sure. So I went to Germany and then in the back in the back up in the United States and I ended up going to the burn center for the military, which is in San Antonio, Texas. And three weeks later, I came out of my coma. I was brought out of my medical induced coma to my reality, to my new normal. And I tell you what the challenging part about that, Kaylee, was was in my young and my very short career in, in the army. I learned about something and I fell in love with something. And what that was is I fell in love with service. I, I, my purpose was to serve yeah. and I fell in love with that. And so my, I, my thought process was when I joined the army, I'm only going to do three years and then I'll move on with my life. But once I started to taste this and, and once I started to started falling in love with this, I thought, well, Hmm, I think I want to do this for the, for the, you know, as long as they allow me, which wow. in many cases is 20 years. 
Wow. So when I fast forward now, I'm in the hospital. I asked them, how are the guys that were in the Humvee? Because that's instilled in you when you're in the military. It's not just about you. It's about the team. How are they doing? And when can I go back? And yeah. I was told, well, we don't know, one, how they're doing. But two, you're not going to be able to go back. Oh. You're not going to be able to remain in the Army. And what was so difficult about that was that within the first few days of coming out of this coma, my identities were stripped away from me. Yeah. The identity that I was starting to create for myself of being in this uniform, of being of service, and that was my purpose. I couldn't do that anymore. And then the identity of physically what I looked like for 19 years of my life now suddenly yeah. it, was, it wasn't there. What was the first time you saw yourself? The first time I saw myself was about four or five days after I came out of the medical induced coma. And it was, the reason why is because every morning there's a routine and every burn survivor will tell you if they remember the instant that, 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 that they were burned and as painful as they may have been, they'll tell you the most difficult part of that recovery process is going to the shower is mm -hmm. when you don't have that layer of skin, no matter whether it's a first, second or third degree, when that, that layer, that protective layer is now damaged and they still have to clean your body, that you can put the toughest person you know in the world in that situation and, and, and you'll hear, you know, you, you'll just hear how much, how, how painful it is. So needless to say, you know, I, I would go to the shower every morning and I remember that my nurse, uh, Mike, would always touch parts of my face and I would just scream and yell at the top of my lungs. Oh. And I, I had no idea why I, I hadn't you know, seen my face or my body. I mean, it was always bad. Oh, you hadn't even seen yourself yet. You were just no. screaming from pain. Yeah. Oh from God. discomfort and pain. And so after going through this for the, for, for a few days, I was, I remember going back into, you know, the ICU room, my ICU room and um, just wait, laying in the hospital bed, looking up at the ceiling. Um, Cause there's nowhere else to look and I didn't have a lot of range of motion and I was crying and oddly enough and, and I know this people are going to say he's making this part up and I'm not there's no reason to make this up but there was a tv in the room and every morning when we were going through the, our routine they'd always put on San Antonio the radio station and I forget which one it is but they would put on the radio station and at that moment when I'm having this this thought of what is wrong with me. Christina Aguilera, yes. her song, uh, that song is um, You Are Beautiful No Matter What They Say, is plain. Yeah. And of course, I'm not thinking about that, but I later right. then thought, oh, wait, that was the, that literally is the song that was playing in the moment that I finally mustered up the courage to ask my nurse that I wanted to see my face. And, and that was the first time I saw my face and, oh my and, and, and that was, it was challenging. I mean, because here I was now 19 years old, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't look the same way and I knew I was going to be removed from the United States army and I was going to be thrown into the world that looked like 
with these scars that are incredibly visible. There's no way to hide them. So naturally that sent me to a really dark place. And that was, uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was challenging. It was challenging to say the least. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. And as I was reading your book a few months ago, um, you know, I was also really struck by one of the things you talked about, which is that you were sort of always like Mr. Popular, really handsome. Um, and so from, you know, what I get gathered from that was that was also part of your identity. And to have that taken as well was like, oh, I'm not hot stud anymore. <laughs> you know, I have to have a personality. <laughs> know what that is <laughs> right and i i want to know what that was you know i th- i find that like when everything else gets stripped away we find our best selves because like you said we become we can be intimate with ourselves and otherwise we're not pushed to do that so how you said you were in a dark place how did you come out of that dark place because you are one of the most inspiring straightforward like you know optimistic people I know you're a realist which I also super value yeah how did you come out of that dark place in stages you know it's it's equivalent to those silly toys that uh that kids love and our daughter's one of them it's uh called lols and it's it's it and they come in different packaging but the most popular is like it's a ball Mm -hmm. and she she when she gets one i mean they're like four bucks and you you have to cut the outer you know wrapping and then you take that off and then you know there's something else to look at and read and then you take that layer off and then eventually you take all these layers off and you get to the prize and the prize is this little toy a doll whatever it is right and they create they they start to collect all of the the little dolls and make little families out of them, but they're so small. They're not even the huge Barbie size. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly what my recovery process was like, both yeah. physically, well, not both, but physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's what my, what my recovery, recovery process was like. I had to unveil all of these different layers. And part of it, a big part of it was, is experiencing small little victories Mm. and you know it wasn't about the big the big you know display that gave me the sign that I needed that life was going to be okay and this is my purpose now it was small sign it's equivalent to driving down the road we drive down the road and there are all these different signs on the side of the road that most of us ignore because we've been driving for a while we kind of have an idea we may glance at it and they're like, okay, I got it and move on. You don't really pay attention to it. But then when there's a billboard, we're all like, what is that billboard? Like this thing is, we're not accustomed to seeing that many billboards and what is it saying and what is it gifting us? And for me, it was like, I can't, I don't see any billboards. I'm just going to pay mm-hmm. attention to these small signs that are giving me the direction that I need in life. And those are the small victories. Small victory mm-hmm. consisted of six months after I was injured being asked to visit a patient who was having a difficult time Mm. dealing with his new norm. Realizing after talking to him for about 45 minutes that I had this positive effect on him. And I literally decided, well, I'm going to visit patients every single day in between my own appointments. That's what I'm going to do because it, I think I helped him, but it also helped me. It gave you back that sense of service. 
Service and purpose, exactly. So I started doing that. So that's a small victory that's carrying me for, for a time. But then eventually it starts to die off, right? And you need something else to come into play. And then a year after I was injured, I got involved with a nonprofit, you know, that was set up to help veterans and their families. And I became a spokesman. So I started doing work on behalf of that nonprofit, press on behalf of that nonprofit, fundraising on behalf of them. So now that's another little victory that's now carrying me. So every time I had these moments where I would plummet emotionally and mentally, I would just hang on to these small victories just to carry me through that phase, that season, just to get me through that period, yeah. to get me through that stage. And then when I got to the other side of that, I would have another victory that would just carry me. And there would be all these small little signs that just allowed me to understand I'm on the right road. I'm on the right road. Yeah. I'm on the right road. Just keep going. I don't know eventually where it ends. I don't know what the destination is, but I know that I'm supposed to be on this road because all of these signs are telling me it's almost, it, it could easily even said, you're going the right way. Like you're going the right way. And I just kept going. And all I could do is trust myself yeah. because as I posted on my Instagram account recently, fear has been something that has been ex existent and present in my life ever since I was born. But there was one instance where I gave fear so much power and I almost died. Mm. And the reason I say that is because when I was in Iraq, I was never afraid of being shot. I was never afraid, honestly, of, I never really thought about dying. My yeah. last words to my mother before I left was, don't cry. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to come back. One way or another, I'm coming home. Hmm. But the thing that I, I was terrified of, I mean, to my core that shook me was the idea of, of a landmine. And oh. what is the thing that almost killed me? A landmine. And so for me, knowing that, that was always in the back of my mind as I was trying to figure out this new life for myself. Mm. As I'm, I'm doing things that are very foreign to me. I'm in front of audiences now speaking. I'm in front of a camera speaking. I'm meeting a lot of people that I, you know, that are, have names. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, that's all terrifying but I'm not going to let that fear get in the way again because yeah. it almost, it almost took my life once and it paralyzed me for a period. I'm not going to allow fear to continue to paralyze my life and get in the way of me getting on this road and just going. And that's how I live my life. And that's why when people say that know me and say, man, you're so fearless. And it's because I have to train myself to become that person because I understand the alternative. If you give it too much power and too much weight, it controls you. It gets in the way. It reroutes you. It redirects you. It stalls you. Yeah. Me, I understand how precious life is. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> well, time. oh my gosh. There, you, just everything you say is such gold. I love it. And that's why I love having these conversations with you. What I love about what you're saying is I think so many people, and I find this a lot when I speak as well, that people sort of will like look up to me and admire me and say like, Oh, you're so strong. And, and I constantly get the impression that someone either that someone thinks either they're strong or they're not either they're resilient or they're not. And what I love about what you're saying is like being fearless has taken practice. It's you're actually intentional about that and that you didn't just sudden, you weren't just resilient. You didn't come out of this coma saying like, going to be fine. I'll be okay. Right. 
It I'm was getting like, a speaker and yeah. I'm getting all these things. No, no. No, and and that's what I like. I want people to hear that message that don't don't go don't worry about the big picture right now because that can be really overwhelming. Just right now, right here, focus on the small victories. That's and in everything that our society is facing right now. I mean, people are living in fear, quite quite literally. I mean, minute to minute living in fear. And I would love to hear your perspective just with everything that you've been through and and how incredible like you've like you've you've created such an amazing person out of it and I really believe in that I think you like I believe you've created the person you are today um and I know we'll talk about that when we introduce everyone to to your upcoming podcast um so I I would love for you to share just how this time of lockdown has been for you um what it's been like for you to go through global pandemic because I know your approach is so different from what I think our society is used to hearing. So so first off I think it's it's important for for me to start off by showing compassion right for people that have either lost someone that they love yeah someone that is maybe potentially currently you know affected by this uh people who financially are you know struggling and having a difficult yeah. time due to this pandemic i i want to be supportive and understanding of that 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 is a real thing for a lot of people yes thank you for um, leading with that thank you yeah and and i but i do think however that for me my approach has been okay this is outside of my control i have no idea what to make of this i, I that is not my level of expertise you know that is that is i know what i have to do i've been tasked with you know staying home stay at home and if you have to go out take these certain precautions i'm now using this opportunity to build my foundation to fix elements of my foundation that maybe have been cracked and mm-hmm. i haven't had the one thing that all of us talk about we don't have enough of is time and i think now we have a lot of time on our hands so what i what am i doing from a business standpoint from a personal standpoint i'm looking at my foundation how how have i been functioning the last couple of years you know on this foundation what are the things that i've really wanted to do but i didn't have enough time well now i'm saying to myself i have time and instead of sitting around mad at the world instead of sitting around you know bitter about what has been taken away from me i'm going to instead focus on what i can regain control of and what i know that i can regain control of is my perspective my attitude um and how i'm going to approach every single day so for me it's a matter of i as you stated starting a podcast something i've wanted to do for a long time just didn't have the time to sit down and do it that's why we're sitting here right now. I've been wanting to do this for years. <laughs> exactly. Starting a podcast. Starting, yeah. you know, uploading content to my YouTube channel. Focusing on my family, focusing on my health, mm-hmm. focusing on me as a speaker. What are some things that I really want to now explore and discuss, right? And and cuz the world will get back to, to normal. It will get back. And it, it may take some time. I I'm not an expert. I'm not going to well, predict. 
it's something that you've said multiple times um, just in, in, you know, during this interview is the world is going to create a new normal. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I'm going to start building and, and creating my foundation that when we get back to that new normal, I'm ready. I'm nice. going to, I'm going to be one of the ones that's going to step out into the world and say, okay, you know what? While this was happening, while I was dark for months, you know, cause I couldn't sh come out to the light and show myself to a lot of people aside from this, this digital, I, I am now, I have all of these things that I want to discuss. I have all of these opportunities. I have, I'm creating platforms that I'm planting seeds and I'm nourishing them over this period that we're having to stay home with the expectation that, because what, what's the alternative? I don't do that. I hmm. sit here and I'm consuming myself with either news, either with social media, like what's the alternative? And then I, for me, it's, that's the whole entrepreneurial way that it's like when everyone else is asleep or dark or yeah. focused on the other thing, you come in and you say, I'm going to focus on the other thing. And I'm yeah. going to focus on how am I going to use this opportunity to build and create? So when then everyone's direction is now focused on, you know, that product or that thing, right. And that service that you're providing. So I'm just, you know, I believe when you said earlier, I tell people like, yes, I believe that a lot of my life today and the opportunities I created, I, mm -hmm. I believe that it starts from those first three months I was in a hospital. My mom and I, our little tradition in the evening when all of the hospital stuff, the routine was done for the day, we'd watch novelas, which are Spanish soap operas. Yeah. <laughs> that was my mother's thing. And I remember, you know, soaps, novelas, you get roped in, man. You watch one or two and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, you're like immersed in the storyline. And it's like, why did, he do that? why did she do that? Why are they not together? It's obvious. And oh my God, they're going to kill each other. They need to be separated. And, <laughs> I used you know, to watch them with my grandmother, even though I didn't like understand all of the Spanish, but I used to watch them with her and like, you're just like, you're immediately sucked into this story. You don't need to understand. You just like, you just see the you, body language and you're like, I get it. But I remember telling my mother uh, a couple of months into this, jokingly, one day I'm going to be on a soap opera. Wow. And she said, oh, really? Because I'm always joking. Oh, really? And I said, yep. And she's like, okay, so what's the storyline going to be? And I said, I don't know. I was like, I don't know. I'm going to have a beautiful girlfriend. And, you know, that's all I knew. That's all I thought of. And yeah. she was like, okay, okay. You know, and I was like, all right, you know, jokingly, right? And this is like sitting in the hospital, over 30% of your body is burned. Yes. Right? It's over 30%. Yes. And oh five years later, I get casted to be an actor on a soap opera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you create? put in your mind yeah. has the power to create it. I'm telling you, the fear I've put into my mind about the landmine got me. The thought and the idea of me becoming an actor in this space that is really focused on beauty, I mean, I, I, I get the opportunity. I'm telling you. So for me, I'm looking at this period as like, what am I putting in my mind? Yeah. I can't overwhelm myself with things that I can't control. That's right. I, I can't overwhelm myself with the fact that I've lost a lot of money because I'm not on the road. I have. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and, and okay. Hey, it is what it is. 
Right. It is what it is. I have my health. I'm going to focus on the things that I do have. I do have my health, my family, we have our health. We have the ability to have food. You know, we, we, like, we have all these incredible things that we're grateful for every single day. And I also have the ability right now to start putting things in my mind that I want to create. Yes. Putting, going to work, putting in the work of how do I create those opportunities? That's yeah. it. I love it. I love that so message. I've been wanting to teach my daughter how to ride a bike. She's, she was, for the most of her life, she was a New York City girl. So she was on a scooter because that's, that was what made sense for the amount of space that we had. Now I'm going to get her ass on a bike. Now yeah. that's our goal. That's our task. We're going nice. to learn how to ride that bike. I'm going to learn how to, you know, how to uh, drywall and patch this hole in the garage that I put in there a couple of months ago because I thought I was going to do a, a workout and throw the medicine ball up against the wall and not realizing, <laughs> oh, that's not concrete, dummy. That's actually <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, so I put a huge wall in our garage and now I'm like, okay, I'm going to go try to fix and patch that hole up. <laughs> like, what are things that we can keep ourselves, that it keeps us busy, that keeps us stimulated, that keeps us growing, that keeps challenging us? That's the key. It's growing. Yeah, it's so, 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 so important. And I love that you're sharing that and that that's been your perspective during this time. And not that that means it's been easy because I know right. that you did lose a lot of work during this period. Um, so yeah, and I just, I love that perspective. So as soon as I, as soon as I asked you about the day that you almost died, your response was that it was such a blessing. And I'm just like, what? Um, Who says that? Sick. <laughs> um, I mean, that's why you're here though, right? Like that's why I want you on this podcast because like it's like that perspective is so, so, so profound. I wish everyone could look at life that way. Um, but you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot when, you know, in terms of my own diagnosis of MS was um, I did ask why me, but for a very different reason than most, most people ask why me out of like feeling bad for themselves. Why is this happening to me? And I, I looked at it because I wanted to look for meaning. I wanted to look at what is the meaning in this, that it's me and not my neighbor, you know, or my friend. And so I loved facing that question. Um, and I know that you have a very unique take on that question as well. So I want to know, you know, when did that first cross your mind and, and what was that like for you? Oh man, it crossed my mind again at various stages through, I mean, it took me, so I was in a hospital physically recovering for almost three years. And during that three year period, I asked it on many, many, many occasions. Sure. So I went from going in front of being in front of an audience and being in front of a camera and talking about the cause to on, on my way back to my room and crying and mad at the world and, wow. you know, upset and, and asking that very question, why me? But in the sense of like, why me? Like in a negative way, right? What, like, mm -hmm. God, like my life is horrible, right? So I asked it through many stages, um, mm. but every time I asked myself that question, I, I would always answer with, I don't know, but I'm not going to find out in this room. <laughs> right. I, I, I have to go outside and either because I'm hungry or I have to go somewhere, like I have to leave and I would walk outside and my little answer would be there. And it didn't come in this very profound, prolific way. It was very subtle. And it would be, 
you know, this subtle little experience that would just sort of give me a lifeline and say, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. again, that's a small victory. That's enough to carry me through. And I got to tell you, though, when I left the Army after three years, I was 22 years old. I was thrown into the world with this new purpose and this new idea of what I wanted to become. And in the midst of me pursuing that opportunity, I ran into some barriers, you know, either people not understanding what value that I could bring. And all of that rejection, all it did was trigger something inside of me. And I became a really unpleasant kid to be around. Mm. I was, I was angry. I was, you know, the, the five stages of, of grief, right? I was in that anger stage. I was angry. Yeah. And um, I asked a question too, why me? I'd had these stages. And for me, what really turned it around was my best friend one day sitting me down and, 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 and I believe and I've, you and I have shared this, you know, in our conversations over the phone that, that I believe that when you're vulnerable, that's when you find a community. And so I'm not shy about sharing the darkest things about my life. Am I proud of them? No, I'm not. But I know that there's somebody watching, listening that it says, man, that I had that same experience. At yeah. least I'm hoping, please don't let me feel like I'm the only one. But here I was 22, 23 years old. I was drinking. And mm -hmm. all that all that did was escalate my emotions on mm -hmm. in a negative way. So needless to say, my best friend one day said to me, you know, you have to focus on your scars. And I'm not talking about the physical ones. I'm talking about the internal ones. And he created this safe environment for us to have a, a really deep conversation. Wow. And in doing that, I suddenly realized, you're right. There are a lot of things that I'd put off up until that point in my life, whether I was 22, 23 years old, that were still present in my life. I'd sort of kind of like swept them under the rug. I'd sort of kind of tried to avoid them or I tried to forget them just because maybe they were traumatic experience or memories, but yeah. they were still very much prevalent in my life and affecting every element of my life. And once I understood that, I started to shift. I started to look at life differently. I started to understand there was something different that I should and could be doing. Wow. And that is essentially the work that has now allowed me that when I f find myself in a moment where something has triggered me, mm -hmm. I am not terrified of going to that place of having the real conversation of, well, what is it about that that's upsetting me? Right. Why does that upset me? Wh what do I need to be paying attention to in this moment? Why did that irk me so much? Yeah. And so now I've gone from the why me, and I've transitioned to what is it that I need to be learning? Beautiful. And what is it about me that I need to be paying attention to, that I need to change and address? That's for me how the question has transitioned. It's from why me to what about me is it that I need to learn about myself? And it's my relationship with my wife, my relationship mm. with my daughter, my relationship with my friends, my relationship with my family, colleagues, you name it. There's things that trigger me. Why? Why? Wow. And, then what I, and then when I ask myself that question and when I do that work and we dive into it because that is so juicy, man. That's the, <laughs> that's the juicy part of that. Oh, it's the best. Oh, that's, it, it's, 
it's hard to get to sometimes. There's some rough edges around it. You got to yeah. get to the center. But when you finally get there, it is so rewarding. And I now crave that taste. I, it's a dish yeah. that I constantly want to be tasting. And so I, I love sitting down and doing that work. And I love looking at myself and saying, why was I a jerk? Why did mm -hmm. I say that? Why did I use that tone? Oh, it's because of my own insecurities that I still have to this day. It's because maybe my own fears. Mm. Oh, it's, it's really more about me. Wow. It's so profound because you're taking things that people could look at and, and feel like a victim mm -hmm. um, and really feel, feel bad for themselves, like it's happening to them. But you're really spinning it and saying, what's the purpose in this? What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? Which is not easy. It's you're not. You're showing up for that. But, but then you reap the reward, reward. When you do it once, you're like, I got this. It's equivalent to, you know, me, like I talked about teaching, our, teaching my daughter how to ride a bike. Once she gets a couple of pedals in and she rides it for, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of feet, she's like, oh, oh, wait, I think I can do this for a little bit. I think I can do this. I think I can do this. And yeah. it's, it's equivalent to us as adults in life is where you do it once and you start, you start to see the reward and you're like, oh, okay, I think I can do this. I yeah. think I, I got to go there again. The key is giving yourself the right tools. The key is surrounding yourself with the right people, the right community, the right yes. environment that's going to create a safe place for you to go there totally. that are not going to judge you, that are going to embrace it, and that are going to sit here and most importantly, listen. I, I am one of those people, when people come to me with a problem, I immediately go into solution mode. Yeah. And I had to learn when people come to me with a problem, it's not always about trying to find the solution. It's, it's most of the time just to listen because they just need someone to vent to. Yeah, and, and I think though that what's really amazing is, like you said, it's who you surround yourself with. It's not just that someone, I mean, this is my belief, not just someone who will listen, but who will do what your friend said and push you to face the hard things. Who's not just gonna listen and let you stay in your own self-pity for too long, but who is gonna say like, okay, and now, and now we gotta actually deal with this. Right. And I think, you know, your wife was telling me how sometimes her friends will call you. Yes. You know, yeah. she put it like talk them off the ledge. And so I think it's that balance between listening and holding space for someone's just very vulnerable human experience, which you're so good at because you're so open about and, you know, you're, you allow yourself to get vulnerable. But then being able to like hold up the mirror and say like, okay, but you can't, you can't just let this be your life. Like we got to find those small victories or whatever it is, you know, depending on the situation. You know, with a little bit of time we have left, I just want to kind of come back to this piece that this is going to air very close to Memorial Day. And what does it mean to you to have um, faced death, to have survived? And what, is, what does Memorial Day look like for you um, in terms of honoring those who did sacrifice their lives um, for our country, for the United States of America? Yeah, so at one, there's a, a deep appreciation for their willingness to make that ultimate sacrifice, right? So when people, some people have said that to me, like, you know, you made the ultimate sacrifice. And I was like, no, I didn't. The ultimate sacrifice is this. And, you know, and people will come up to me and thank me on Memorial Day for my service. And oh, it's wow. about educating them and saying, well, it's, that's, that's not what it's about. May is National Military Appreciation Month, so it is okay, but 
it's understanding the meaning behind Memorial Day. So one, I, I am just indebted and grateful to those individuals that were willing to make that sacrifice, to their families that they left behind who equally yeah. willing to sacrifice their loved one um, yeah. for us. And I don't forget that. And But I also live my life with a chip on my shoulder mm. because I know that I've easy, I easily could have been one of those individuals. Wow. I know I could have easily been buried, you know, at one of those, you know, famous iconic cemeteries. Yeah. And for me, that's what drives me is that I want a, a parent who lost their child. I want a spouse. I want a child to look at me and to, to feel as if I am an extension of the loved one that they lost. So beautiful. So that's why, and I put the pressure on myself, I mean, to go all out, to represent, to speak on behalf, to educate, to aware the general public of who these incredible individuals are. So Memorial Day, it's okay for us to live for the rest of us to live our lives. And, you know, depending on where we live and the weather, you know, is, is cooperating. You want to get outside and you want to hang out in the pool or you want to go to a park or you want to have a barbecue or you want to have family and friends around you. It's okay. That's what they, that's what they sacrifice their lives for is for you to be able to have that, not have to worry about anything else. But what's not okay is that when we're not pausing, mm-hmm. when we're not le- utilizing the tools that we have, which is social media, every single one of us have, a, have that tool, yeah. to educate our followers, our friends, our family members about what the meaning is of this day. Yeah. And allowing the general public to understand, oh wait, we should not forget what this day really means, what the meaning is behind it. So for me, that's, 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 that's Memorial Day means to me. It's, it's me now as a, as, a, as a citizen, as a veteran, meaning someone who is now retired out, is no longer in. Um, but as just as a normal everyday resident, mm-hmm. I am incredibly grateful and indebted to those that still to this day sacrifice and, 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 and are willing to put themselves in that position. And yeah. I was too, and and my a lot of my friends were as well. But we made it out, and now it's our job and our duty to our fellow service members to keep their legacies and their names alive, and to allow people to you know just pause for a second. That's all we're asking. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that you're emphasizing that that you're sharing so openly. You know, I live in Israel, and Memorial Day is very different from being in America on Memorial Day. And there it's, it's very solemn and you would never see anyone like going out and having a barbecue. And again, it's not a judgment. It's just a different way that the society um, honors the day and commemorates those who have fallen. And there are ceremonies all over the country honoring, you know, someone who was local to that neighborhood or all the people um, in that neighborhood who gave their lives. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and we have, there's a siren that goes off. And when that siren goes off, everybody stops what they're doing and they stand, even if they're driving, they stop the car and get out of the car. You could be on the highway and just stand at attention, honoring all the lives that have been lost. So it's such a different vibe. It's such a different feel. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see what it will be like during this time when we're all valuing human life in such a different way to see how Americans approach it. But I, you know, I want to thank you for your service. And I want to thank all of my, I have so many relatives who've served and I want to thank them. And I certainly want to thank all the families um, who have, who have made the sacrifice, who've lost a loved one. And so Memorial Day means something completely different to them and a massive, massive thank you. Um, and just honoring of all the souls that have that, that lost their lives um, while yeah, it, protecting our freedom. You know, as you stated in, in Israel, how things are different related to that day, you know, we value, you know, service very differently, you know, in Israel, mm -hmm. as you're well aware, you know, everyone serves in, in some capacity. Yeah. And so we all understand, you, you understand it versus yeah. in the United States, you know, we're not required to, and it's a choice. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't make that choice, less than 1% make that choice. Mm, and so what you have is, you know, 99% of the population that don't understand service to, you know, if they, especially if they don't have a connection to somebody. And so how, where, where's the knowledge coming from? Right. So that's mm. why I think it's incredibly important for individuals like myself, like you, anybody else that has a platform to say, hey, let's value the service that they gave to our country. And then mm -hmm. let's all do our part to take care of their families, help their families. There's incredible organizations yes. that are set up to help kids that have lost a parent, um, to help them go to college, to help them have different resources. And that's important because they've lost, you know, the parent that probably would have been able to provide those things and now they don't have it. So, but tell us about your new podcast, because when you first, we spoke on my birthday and when you, before you'd even told me it was a podcast, you started talking to me about the, the beauty and the importance of rebirth. And I just had the chills and I was like, oh my gosh, and, his t and it's my birthday. And I so believe in this. So I'm like, oh my God, we have to celebrate your podcast. Tell us everything. Well, thank you so much for that, for, the, for this opportunity to do a little a shameless plug. But, um, but yeah, so it, the podcast is called Rebirth. And the idea is obviously, you know, me, I refer to the day that I was injured as my rebirth because I believe parts of me died and other parts of me were born on that day. And mm -hmm. so a lot of veterans refer to the day that they were injured as their alive day. But for me, it's as a different meaning. So for me, it's, it's, it's a little bit deeper than that where it's my rebirth. And mm -hmm. I believe that all of us are constantly, you know, having rebirths. And it's not just on the day that we were born or the day that an incident took place that maybe, you know, changed the course of our life. I believe that, uh, that every single day we have the opportunity to be born again with yes. the choices and the decisions that we make for that day, for that week, for that month, for the rest of our lives. Yep. And so it's a, what, what I want to be able to highlight is, a, is equivalent to what you're doing, you know, <laughs> making you know, lemonade out of lemons. And I want to be able to highlight these individuals that have had to go through a lot of the struggle and have had to evolve and had to change, whether because of their own choices or because of life. 
and have found ways to be reborn into what their purpose is today, what drives them today, what motivates them today. And I think that's mm-hmm. the key is to really understanding we, we can we can look at the surface and see how people are successful and what got you know and 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 how they're already there. But I want to look at what are the things that caused you to be reborn, to be to become this person that you are today with this newfound purpose and passion and drive. And so yeah, so it's called rebirth. And again, it's just encompassing all of the above. And Perfect. I just want to have really good conversations with people and understand how they took challenging trying times and essentially leverage that and utilize it to now create opportunity um, and then share that with the world. So you, you can, of course, you know, check me out there. You know, you're on the podcast as well. And uh, I believe believe that you have a story yourself. You know, people look at you and see the work that you're doing, but you all equally have a story that I think maybe a lot of people don't understand. How'd you even get into that space? And, that's what's really beautiful about having you on as well as being able to really dig into understanding how did Kaylee become this person that is now helping other people uh, through a lot of their adversity. I love the concept, obviously. Uh, it's so up my alley. Um, and I, I, I think so many people, like this is what our society needs. We need to be having these conversations. So um on the page, um, on the link for the podcast, we will link to JR's podcast. We will link to his website, to all of his social. Um, I highly recommend following him. And as we come out of lockdown, remember that JR is a very dynamic speaker who's so inspiring. I mean, I can't even tell you, we've, we've like barely scratched the surface. Like this is just <laughs> the tip of the iceberg, um, which is great. I look forward to future episodes with you. Um, but yeah, I want to plug that too. Cause you know, I know I'm a speaker and lost a bunch of gigs during this time. And so yeah. it just, you know, if someone's listening to this a year from now, we want them to call JR. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yes. So call us. Well, thank, thank you for that. No, thank yeah. you. Thank you for this platform and opportunity to share. I think that w- that's what we need to put out. I think we need to put out uh, this, this type of information and, yeah. You know, this is what people need to consume their minds and their bodies with. Yes. And I think that will allow people to understand, okay, it's, that's difficult to do for me right now, but I'm going to try. And that's all yes. we can ask of people to try. Try you again. You just got to try and you got to start somewhere. And I know that people hearing this will be so inspired by your perspective, by your resilience, by the incredible life that you've built um, out of all of your challenges. Um, not despite them, but like really because of them, they've, they've so yeah. much informed who you are. And so I'm so excited for the impact that this interview is going to have and, and, and our, all of our listeners. And, you know, if we brighten one person's day, especially during this time, it's so worth it. So it. thank you so much for, for sharing this time with me. I mean, I always love the time that we get together. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but this time we get to share it with others. So um, I'm so excited to, to be able to do this with you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having me on. And thank you to everybody that stayed, stayed stuck around and listened to us go back and forth about life. (laughs) uh, You know, just my best wishes to you and best wishes to everybody uh, that's listening right now. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, JR. Today's episode is dedicated in memory of all the servicemen and women who've made the ultimate sacrifice to protect the freedoms that Americans enjoy each day. 
I also just want to thank the people in my life who have served and have thankfully either lived or are living full lives after their service, especially my family members. My grandfather, Joseph Chubin, who served in the Army Air Corps, may he rest in peace. My uncle, Bob Tappert, and my cousin, Christopher Tappert, both Marines. Thank you both so much. My cousin, Asher Tappert, for serving in the Army. Thank you so much. My great uncle, Robert Chubin, for serving in the Navy and my second cousin, Dale Chubin, for his service in the Army. I want to thank all of these men and JR for being an example of service in my life. If on Memorial Day you're honoring the memory of a loved one who did sacrifice their life for this country and you would like me to honor them, go ahead and reach out to me on Instagram and you can send me a message with a picture of them and their dates and I'll be honored to share their memory on Memorial Day this Monday. Hey, thanks for listening. To stay up to date on all the happenings in Lemonade Land, follow me on social media in the links in the description below or go to my website, kaleyz.com. That's K-A-L-E-Y, Z as in zebra, dot com. Have a sweet and refreshing day.